Nor är det tid för nordisk påtryck. I'm your host, Eric Stavney, for this Nordic on Tap podcast of life stories, folk tales, and music of the Nordic countries, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Sápmi, and the Faroe Islands, with contributions from folks west of the Atlantic as well. In this show, we'll meet a Seattle-based fashion designer and then hear an excerpt from a famous classical piece by Jean Sibelius. So what is fashion design? Well, there's that stereotype of those self-absorbed clothes artists more in love with their own name than worrying about who can afford to dress in their clothes or, or fit in their clothes. Are those fashion designers? There's the business of fast fashion these days, the process of mass-producing trendy clothes quickly and cheaply to meet an ephemeral market demand. But there's also now a lot of closings of those same fast fashion companies because Gen Z and millennials are less interested in getting their clothes cheaply and quickly than they are now in the social and environmental costs of fast fashion. The younger generations are looking to see that clothes producers pay their people a decent wage under decent conditions and do so in an environmentally responsible manner. Why would clothes matter anyway, beyond keeping you warm and preventing embarrassment when you go out in public? We know there's many expressions we have about clothes, such as apparel oft proclaims the man, according to Shakespeare. That is, the clothes you wear communicate who and what you are and maybe your social status. Or as Mark Twain famously said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. And there's, you can have anything in life if you dress for it, according to Edith Head. And the business mantra, dress for success. Psychologists tell us that we perform better and more confidently when we act the part, or we wear clothes that make us feel good about ourselves. I can personally attest to how clothes affected me as an actor. The few times I've been cast in a play when I practiced my lines over and over and learned where to walk and when on stage, all that was just dry technicalities. I didn't really feel who I was. But the first time I got to wear my costume in a dress rehearsal, I easily left myself behind and boom, I was a villager or I was a horse. Okay, I was, I was half a horse. I won't tell you which half. So, when I had the opportunity to interview a real fashion designer, a local one, I just couldn't pass this up. Based here in Seattle, Washington, where we produce this show, Madison Leiren of Leiren Designs sees clothes as part of one's personal story. Clothes say who you are, where you're from, and how you feel. I wanted to draw her out more on this, 
who it is she actually designs for, and since she's of Norwegian extraction, how that plays into her designs, how she feels she fits into the larger Nordic community here in Seattle. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do and where you're coming from. Absolutely. So for me, fashion is an art form. It's a form of self-expression. It's more than just something that you put on and walk out the door, and it's, it's a transformative experience. And for me, Norwegian culture has, in many ways, given me transformative experiences, whether traveling over there, seeing the fjords, the nature, driving through the tunnels. You know, the, for the first time, anybody's going to be pretty taken aback by that or um, seeing things like the Resistance Museum in Oslo, um, seeing the Parliament Building uh, and, and in there all of the art and the architecture through the history of Norway. Um, it's such a vast inspirational source from the mythologies to um, if you look at the textile designs and in, in the boonads and everything, there's so much right. to draw from right. visually. So, um, as a designer, I take a lot of every, everything from the mythology and, and what do I think Freya would be wearing in Asgard, um, <laughs> to, you know, looking at old tatting that my great-grandmother used to do sitting around the house. And I just kind of take that and, and make it modern and, and try to dress the new strong Scandinavian women of Seattle and, and around the world. Right. I know in looking at some of your uh, work online, I saw a couple things that, that were almost like old classic Viking outfits, gals with that, that front bodice and, and the straps that come over with the two, usually medallion-type things attached. I mean, that's one thing I know you Yeah, know. yeah, the turtle shell pins. And, um, you know, I've, I've definitely toyed around with Viking reenactment because I think it's important, if you're, if you're taking inspiration, especially from a culture, right. to understand historically accurately what people used, what were the technologies of the time. Um, and that was a really cool thing of going to Oslo, going back to, you know, the motherland for my family of Norway and going to the Viking Ship Museum yes. and seeing, you know, the gold that was intricately woven. I mean, to, to do that even today is an amazing feat, let alone before electricity. Right. right. So I, I definitely get a lot of inspiration and kind of see things, old things in new ways. Yes. Yes. So uh, tell me a little about the line of things that you offer. It's women's clothing so far, right? I've actually done some, some men's Mince? custom stuff yeah. too, um, which is, is fantastic because I think it's a great way to use old pewter fixtures. Yes. So like clasps, buttons, those things that were just kind of used on boonads and are right. kind of being forgotten. They're amazing on fitted Italian wool suits and, and vests Whoa. and things like that. Yeah. The People that aren't even Scandinavian see them and they're like, that's unique. That's special. I want that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just like putting little twists, those little touches of, of Nordic culture in designs that are approachable to everybody is definitely something I do. And then for women, I do everything from kind of cocktail and business attire to wedding gowns, things that take 150 hours. There's hand sewing. Right. There's 3D cutting of lace involved. All of the stuff that I do myself because for me... I want my collection to not only capture what it means to be 
an amazing, independent, strong, special woman on a wedding day. I also want that, her to feel that way in the office, right. in her career, oh, that's interesting. in running around. And, you know, just having that little piece of like, oh, you know, this, this makes me feel like a shield maiden. This gives me strength of culture, of knowing, of ancestors, of, of, of that, bringing that with you wherever you go. That's interesting. My impression was that the bridal gowns or maybe something, uh, an elegant dinner gown, but your business clothing as well, or possibly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of what I do is custom. Yeah. And most of that is bridal. And it's, it's a wonderful way to really get into the technical, the precision, the handwork, the fussy things that I, I really love and am and proud in my skills in. But also, you know, people want to be able to wear their wedding dress more than once. Or they want to be yes. able to switch out what the bodice looks like for the reception versus the ceremony. Oh, interesting. Um, I have a lot of women that are working in, um, you know, very competitive careers in Seattle that, you know, are Scandinavian, are moms, and are, are just killing it. And they want career pieces that are unique, that are tailored, that are special, right. that nobody else is going to go find at, you know, Nordstrom or local boutiques. They want something where they can take that wherever they go, that, that feeling, that, that um, air, if you will, of, of what I try to encapsulate. So I can see folks who might have a, some amount of money to be able to address some of the higher-end stuff. What what kind of target audience would you look at, or, or are you kind of a certain level of wealth that you would be aiming at? Uh, right. So, you know, with wedding dresses... I mean, that it takes a lot of you know, It takes time. a lot of time. You're absolutely right. And there's a, a lot of planning that goes into a wedding dress. There's right. fittings. You know, it, it is meant to be your dress. It is, it is right. perfectly fitted in all... Um, of your expectations are, are what I'm trying to meet. So with that, my, my wedding dresses started about $1,500, which is very no, competitive. It, absolutely it is. Um, and then with kind of ready-to-wear business attire, cocktail dresses, those started around around 300 and mm -hmm. go up. And it's all dependent on fabrics, beading, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, it, it's meant to be an approachable art. It's yes. not just for special occasions. Got it. What does ready to wear mean to you? So ready to wear is something that, you know, you can throw in the washing machine, you can pack with you, take you on your travel trips, or, you know, you can, you can have it hanging in your uh, office at work and not have to worry about it getting steamed or fussing over it. And there's amazing fabric technology out now that can be played with so that, you know, you don't have to iron things yes. and they'll still look nice. Well, and... That appeals to me right there. <laughs> right, right. And, and so many times women will try on even some of my evening wear that are, that are floor-length gowns with slits up to there and off the shoulder and stuff. And I, I say to them, that's something you can throw in the washing machine. And it's not going to fade. It's not going to pill. And they just look at me and their jaws at the ground. That's amazing. That's amazing. I know a lot of satins don't wrinkle all that. It depends, right? It, it definitely depends. Yeah. 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 So, what did I was reading about? Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Viscose. No, yeah, viscose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is that made out of, actually? What is, it, is it a... So, it depends on who you're getting it from and what the blend is. But viscose is, is made out of a uh, plant pulp, mm -hmm. like a tree mm -hmm. pulp. Okay. Uh, it's a beautiful fabric. It's lightweight. It breathes beautifully. And kind of like linen, it can get like a slight wrinkle to it. Right. It's a little softer than a, right. than a linen. Um, so it's just really easy going, beautiful for summer, 
really nice lightweight fabric. That's great. You know, linen, you just stare at it and it wrinkles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where with the viscose, it is a little softer. So it's great for things like shirts, dresses, blouses, gowns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It flows lovely. beautifully. So with men, the things that you have done, I'm just curious, can you describe a little bit more about what you've designed for, for guys? Yeah, so I've done button-up shirts. Sure. Um, even just as straight as that. Yeah, even just as straight as that. That's that's the beauty of custom, is it right. can be what you want it to be. Right. Um, I've had some fun with pants, because, you know, for guys, a lot of times, pants are a challenge. <laughs> so uh, I've definitely, you know, heard, heard some great stories and, and made some successes through that. Um, but what I really love doing is, is doing things like vests, jackets. Yes. Um, because being a designer, you can do things like concealed pockets uh, for, yeah. you know, travel right. documents. Right. So many guys that I do special garments for, they're like, I travel all the time. I work for an airlines, et cetera, et cetera. So they're on the go and they're like, I don't want to leave my passport in my hotel room, but you also don't want it just tucked in your back pocket. Right, right. So little details like that that you don't really think about day in, day out, or buying things off of the rack are totally worked into a design. That's clever, yeah. What do you make of, with regards to bunads, a lot of the classic bunad police type people? <laughs> in, in oh, I life. don't know those. <laughs> uh, who's fleet or who's fleet or who's fleet? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, insist that they make the bunads the old way or some traditional way. Mm -hmm. And does that mean they just take a few measurements and they don't really use a pattern? Uh, so the interesting thing that most people don't know about bunads, at least for the Bergen's bunad, which is the one right. that I have, that, you have yeah. that I inherited, is that if you open up the seams on the side, on the shoulder, throughout it, there's extra allowance for you to let it in, take it out for oh. a longer torso, shorter torso, if a woman's pregnant, all of these sorts of things. So they're really made to be heirloom garments, which is something I love um, because, you know, you can inherit people's garments. It's a way to keep, keep it in the family, pass it down. And, you know, the cost can be so prohibitive of people having their own. Right. So it's a brilliant way to make garments and something you see more in Europe than you do here, especially in European vintage, yes. is things meant to be passed down and held on to. Not that once disposable kind of fashion. Fast fashion. Yeah, fast yeah. fashion, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, my wife and I made a bunad for my daughter, and um, it was um, vest fold. It was very easy because it's just red on top and, mm -hmm. and a dark blue skirt. Mm -hmm. And um, used a pattern. For, there's uh, there's no bunad patterns out there, but there's one outfit called, um, like, old country <laughs> costumes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, they do more um, culturally sourced, right. a little bit better with the historical accuracies and things like and that. And that's what we used to do. And adapted it but that's exactly right I mean we're looking at it going okay we gotta include lots and lots of allowance for you know as she grows yeah. and fills out and whatever and I mean you see you see some of the young girls that have the bunads that you know go down to their knees and they wear the stockings underneath because yeah you're you're right kids shoot up like uh, bamboo and right. and so this they they design those a little bit more price friendly and and everything uh, I think something like the the Vos bunad which is also something my family could have. Right, Vos and Dale, they came from, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, well, well Stomnes, technically, Stomnes, but Vossendale right. is very close to there. Um, but we could have adopted the Voss one, but it's about $30,000 with yeah. the beading, the materials, the jewelry that goes so, with yeah, it. Yeah, right. And then the, Ber the Bergensbunat is only about five, five to eight, depending on. So you can see, you know, beading and, and, and the wool and all of those things as of quickly. There's a lot of very special details. Hmm. I gotta uh, look that up. I know Hardanger obviously has a lot of beading in the bodice mm -hmm, up here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I saw some of your dresses had a fair amount of lace, especially up up in the chest. Or yeah, the yeah, there yeah. and also at the hem. Um, I'm definitely inspired. A, a lot of the bunats have either embroidery or some ribbon around yeah, the bottom, yeah. and and I think it's just a beautiful way to kind of frame the figure and to kind of give it a little bit more depth and and uh, visual perception of, you know, the ending at the bottom. So are you saying that you draw some of the design? From oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually one, uh, a few pieces of the new collection I'm working on right now that are going to be kind of sheer, almost kind of like uh, jackets. So they're going to be heavily beaded yeah. and kind of reminiscent in shape and body shape of some of the old Bunads. So more of like a vest um, and then, you know, a pleated open skirt. Some of them might have sleeves and things like that, but very much going back to like the trim that you see along the necklines and stuff like that. So do you mark it as someone approaches you and you make the clothes for them? Is that, that's the arrangement? That's yeah, that's a good amount of it. And and people definitely see pieces that I've done and say, Wow, that's beautiful. Um, for example, a bride I'm working with right now, her boyfriend at the time saw a dress and envisioned his girlfriend in it. Went home after a business trip and proposed to her. And now I'm making her wedding dress and it's based on that original design, but she's, you know, varied the sleeves, varied the skirt a little bit, but still very much that design. So it's it's really cool to be able to kind of inspire those life but moments. But also you have people are are walking representatives of your art. I mean, and, definitely, and definitely champions of it. Yeah, yeah. Probably um, happy to talk about it. Yeah, recently um, Miss World has been wearing a lot. Um, she's now hosting uh, North American Fashion Week as we speak this weekend, um, and the entire week she's presenting in my designs. So it's it's really cool to see women that get excited about the art that I'm making who are definite symbols of, like, go out and, and chase your dream and, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. be the woman you want to be. Those are the women who inspire me, and I would love to dress. Because all they do is inspire other women to right. go out and do that same thing. I think I read that you got your start or background. You went to s some schools in California? Correct get started with design LA yeah yeah um, so I did go to uh, Pasadena City College I had a scholarship to go over to uh, Art Center in technically Pasadena which about 65% of automotive designers in the world come from that school it's a very well-known design school Interesting. so uh, there I was I was focusing mostly on sketching 3d rendering in design uh, using, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, those sorts of things. And, yeah, so um, you use those? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do I, yeah. And uh, it was a cool experience because with the scholarship, I also got to do mentoring of high school students on the weekend. Neat. So they would bring in their projects and they would, you know, want to learn how to sew. And, it, it, you know, I, I think giving back is so important. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how small or how humble you are. 
there's there's time you can give, there's effort you can give, there's there's always some way. And I think that that's a big part of like Scandinavian culture is community. Yes. And helping yes. and you know, we've all been through rough winters <laughs> and there's always enough to share. Do you find that the Scandinavian community in Seattle um, embraces you and, and vice versa? Or Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, uh, to, to be honest, I was shocked. Um, my first runway show that was just me as a designer kind of uh, launching the brand was at the Nordic Museum mm -hmm. last year last on year. 17th of May. I read that article. And uh, we had about 300 people come. <sighs> wow. I was shocked. I was so shocked. I was like, oh, 60 will be great. And, you know, it was like standing room only, rows of people back. And oh, yeah, in that narrow hallway, but that's it, cool. But it was so dramatic with the dresses. They had these long flowing gowns on, and the skirts were just billowing as they walked. And in this fjord-like hall, it was just, you know, without being in Norway with them walking down on top of the water in the fjord, it was as close as we could get visually there is this generation that's finding their voice in the community. Yes, yes. Um, and for me, it's definitely through my art, through fashion. Um, but, you know, we have to keep it going. There's so much that our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents laid the foundation for, and it's our time to pick up the torch. And I definitely, as a Laren, as a Norwegian, feel that. Yeah, we're on this cusp where the classic immigrants uh, are are dying out, literally. Yeah. And unless we find some way to reinvent ourselves in, mo in a modern context, the, the community's gonna take a hit. I I'll admit, there's a strong listenership that are senior citizens. Yeah, uh, and, and that's something that I'm working on, too. I have a great interest right now in, in the next six months, hosting an event, bridal-focused, but a way for young people to see Hey, this is how you work your heritage into your wedding how in a beautiful. way that isn't like, oh yeah, we're all gonna sit around in our boonads and listen to Hardanger fiddle and and you know like yeah, right, it's <laughs> exactly. So you know, there, there's like Bien Bakery. They they make these amazing, amazing goods there, and and the idea of bringing back like the Kronzakake and the princess cake and things like that. Um, to a wedding or going to Scandinavian specialties and, and buying um, napkins that are done with like a rosemaling yeah, print. Exactly. Or using things like the, the glass that's that they carry there um, for, you know, the sweetheart's table. Or right. just, just ways to kind of reconnect us um, and to not let the past go, but to make it our own. And, and learning to forward. cook those things yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right? I'm actually going to make Kringve after this. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, someone who would be interested in finding out more about what you do and how to get a hold of you and examples of your work. Yeah, they... absolutely. Uh, definitely on Instagram. You know, fashion right. is a very visual form. Yep. So at Laren Designs on there, uh, larendesigns.com, info at larendesigns.com. Uh, lots of easy ways to get a hold of me. I've, I'm on Facebook, on everything. So. Hmm. Yeah, anybody who's just kind of trying to find something that gives them that little extra whatever they need when they need it. That's that's what my clothing does. Thank you, Madison. I, I look forward to following you on Facebook and Instagram, catching one of your fashion shows if I'm lucky, and maybe ordering one of those suits with lots of secret pockets.
And I know now who I can refer my women friends to when they're looking for a unique and special wedding gown. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Many popular songs and hymns today are in fact rooted in classical music. There's the Israeli National Anthem, which I believe is based on Bedrick Smetana's The Moldau, or Vletana. The most famous part in a minor key goes something like... Then there's the hymn based on Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, uh, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, or Ode to Joy. So what about a Nordic example? Well, I'd like to play for you a section of a tone poem Jean Sibelius wrote as part of a set of pieces to depict episodes from Finnish history. Sibelius is celebrated as one of Finland's greatest composers. He wrote a symphony in 1900 when Finland was trying to gain its independence from Russia. He called it Finland Awakes, at least to start with, and it was a call to action for the Finns to rise above the misery and repression and Russian censorship of anything that celebrated being Finnish. I'm talking here, of course, of Finlandia, written first as a symphony and later arranged as a piano piece. It's actually much different when played on the piano, more percussive with lots of growling, roiling bass notes. Finlandia in the piano piece starts off very heavy and harsh with ominous notes in a minor key, perhaps reminding us of what Finland was suffering in the rising defiance of oppression. You can hear the pianist tearing up and down the piano in racing arpeggios. But it transitions finally to something a bit brighter for several minutes. And then, around the five-minute mark, there comes a single page of piano music, one of 13 pages total. Something remarkable, quiet, and lyrical. It's sweet, it's grand, and, well, it's holy. That's followed by more drama, more arpeggios, and a thunderous finish. It's perhaps no surprise, although it frustrated Sibelius himself, that this short lyrical section I'm talking about became wildly popular. It really cried out to be sung, and not only were the Finns humming it, but it became globally famous. Everyone was humming it. Sibelius apparently was rather irked. This music was never meant to be sung, he said but it had taken on a life of its own. He finally gave up, saying if the world wants to sing it, it can't be helped, and he reworked that page of music to eventually become the standalone Finlandia hymn, or what many of us know as Be Still My Soul. Here's Dana Stavny playing the hymn section from the piano version of Finlandia.
Well, I, for one, cannot hear this hymn, this section, without thinking of the pastoral grandeur of Finland, among other things. What about you? I encourage you to listen to all of Finlandia so you can see where this fits in, in any of several YouTube recordings on the Internet. That's our show for this time. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Please write to us at NordicOnTap, all one word, at gmail.com with suggestions, comments, ideas, whether you're inspired by Finlandia or other pieces of music. We'd like to hear about that. We'd love to hear from you either by email or with a post on our Facebook site. Our toe-tapping theme music was composed and performed by Daryl Jackson at daryljacksonmusic.com. We look forward to bringing you more interviews, stories, music, and hygge, that Danish concept suggesting that you should pull up a chair with your favorite beverage and listen to our show. We'll see you next time on Nordisk Potrik. <laughs>